0: This is the Transforming Basketball Podcast, and I'm your host, Alex Sarama. This is the podcast where we help coaches and practitioners change the way we think about basketball performance. Our goal is to create the ultimate resource to help make sense of how contemporary skill acquisition ideas can be applied within the basketball world. Throughout the podcast, we'll unpack how an ecological dynamics framework alters our perspective of the game, if you're ready to join us in our quest to transform the basketball world, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to the Transforming Basketball Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Drew Dunlop and Jake Grossman from The Pro Lane. I'm a big fan of what these guys are doing within the basketball player development space. are uh, fully committed to using an ecological approach and just love all the Twitter videos that are emerging every week. So I had to get the guys on the show to talk about contemporary skill acquisition ideas and how it can be applied to basketball. So Drew and Jay, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it, Alex.
1: Alex. Yeah, looking forward to
0: it, man. So my first question today, guys, is, you know, what made you as a company decide to go down this direction and, you know, really break away from the status quo and be brave going into the unknown and really going all in into using a constraint-led approach?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, for us, everything kind of started during COVID, right? We, uh mm-hmm. schools shut down here. We are fortunate enough to find gym space pretty consistently. And so we had a decent amount of guys coming in four or five times a week. And Jake and I, we found uh Rob Gray's book, How to Learn to Move. And oh man, from there, it just, you know, that was a spark, right? Yeah. And you're going down that road and you're trying stuff and there's a lot of failures. and But you're also finding a lot of stuff that's like, wow, this is this is where it's at. And then you start flashback. For me, I was a gym rat as a player. I could do every drill you could ever think of, but it just never connected to in-game. And to to be able to then flash forward to finding Rob's book, to be playing around with uh, ecodynamics and and CLA within these sessions, and you're seeing these creative solutions emerge, it's like, wow, this is is where it's at. And no looking back since then.
0: Love that. And Jake, we spoke about it a little bit offline just before we started, but what do you think are the biggest hurdles for coaches who are maybe using a traditional approach or maybe a games approach? What do you think to really move in this direction use a CLA, like, what do you think is the biggest hurdle to overcome?
2: Yeah, I mean, even in our own coaching journey, it was tough to kind of get used to seeing such a sloppy environment. But, you know, we come from a background where and there's one way of doing something. It's got to look clean. It's got to look crisp. And you're always being instructed on what to do. And getting away from that Took a bit, right? There's kind of a learning experience on ourselves. But you got to look at it as as coaches, we're asking these kids to explore and not minding making mistakes. And I feel like as coaches, we also have to do that ourselves. So that was probably the biggest hurdle we overcome. You see other coaches trying to overcome.
0: Great stuff. You know, let's say, picture the weeks after, you know, you were, we returned to court after COVID. You guys had read Rob's book, which is obviously excellent, How we Learned to Move. What would you guys say is the biggest difference, kind of, between where you're at now using the CLA a couple of years later versus when you first started trying, you know, these ideas?
1: I think the toughest thing is when you're first in it, you have this picture of what the solution needs to be, and you almost look at it as like a failure if that doesn't come out in your drills and activities. And now, you know, now we're sitting there like we're running something, we set up an activity, and we're just Sitting back and observing, like, oh, let's let's tweak this. Let's see what happens when we change this. And and the players are really directing it for us because more often than not, these players are coming up with solutions that we would have never anticipated. And I love that. You know, I love sitting back and just kind of taking notes. And, you know, our big things, like we have whiteboards everywhere in the facility. We're always jotting down ideas and things that we see. And we're like, okay, next time we can kind of tweak this. And, And, you know, these guys, these type of players, like they're finding that solution. But how do we switch it a little bit for them? How do we, you know, set some new challenges? So that's the fun part. It's really a lot of
0: fun. Would you, on that note, I love that, Drew. Would you guys have any examples of maybe some constraint manipulations you've been using as of late or in a particular practice? Because I think what I'm trying to get at is how we're not doing this just randomly and turning up to practice and saying, let's play with these constraints. You're doing it for a reason. So I don't know, maybe you could talk about that a little bit and the process behind, you know, maybe you're working with a player in a small group or an individual. You know, why are you manipulating constraints? Yeah, you want to take that, Jake?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's our belief that skill emerges. You know, I don't think a lot of people see how much work goes in behind the scenes. You know, we're studying trends, watching just numerous, numerous amounts of hours of film and breaking down some of the biggest trends and some of the biggest things you see happening within the game. And to us, it's okay. How do we shape the environment to let some of these things emerge? It's kind of our playground as well. We're switching around constraints. We're constantly talking before sessions, in sessions. Seeing what we can manipulate to get several solutions to emerge or push some of these guys towards solutions we like to see.
0: Great stuff. Drew, do you want
2: yeah, to think
1: that? Yeah. Yeah. I was I was saying you know, one of the things as Jake was talking about, like where do we get these ideas from? We're just watching film, right? Lately it's been a ton of Euro League and Euro Cup. And, you know, we got the FIBA World Cup going on and and you're watching what's happening, right? How are players getting to their spots how, how our team's scoring efficiently what our defenses doing to take away right so we're taking those those ideas and now we're trying to redesign kind of and recreate scenarios within our sessions and one of the things that like we've really been focused on lately is we call them like the modern game truths right rarely are players getting uncontested shots uncontested finishes at the rim right passes are either around a body through traffic tight windows right cutting Right, You to understand how to balance the floor. If your teammate drives, hits the paint, okay, how are we reacting to that, right? And some of that's related to principles of play within the team, yeah. but we're also kind of looking at the overall, like what are some universal solutions, have you, right? So we're taking that and then we're thinking about, okay, how do we then take constraints to shape some of those, right? So lately, we've been playing around with a lot of shot clock, right? Variable shot clocks on any possession. It might be anywhere, you know, a late clock under six, or you're looking at that seven to fourteen sweet spot. We might shape where okay, there has to be a couple different actions before you can get into it. Some kind of misdirection. We've been playing around with scoring. So a big thing what we do is threes are worth threes, non paint mid ranges are worth one, and anything where you get a foot in the paint is worth two. Right. So trying to teach these guys, there's higher value areas on the floor, right, and you got to find it. Player to player, it's a little bit different. The emphasized scoring thing, where we're trying to play off a of cut, maybe we say, "Hey, anything off a of cut generated is plus three or plus four, right?" So you're trying to allow these players to still be able to take a mid-range shot that's worth one because that's the best shot, and the possession dictates that shot. But also incentivize like, "Hey, if I just take it one more step further, I get that extra point."
2: Yeah.
1: Right. Defensively, we've been playing around with you know different positioning, right? Yeah. Having them start off a flyby a closeout, and now they're in a scramble to get back, right? most defenses practice in perfect setups, right? They're in their shell and everyone's in the right position and early talking. But the reality of that is the game's not that, right? A lot of times it's scrambles, rotation, it's bailouts, it's late veer switches. So we're just trying to take all that chaos, shake it up in these sessions, sit back and let the players kind of figure it
0: out. Great point. I think the the defensive benefit is something forgotten about a lot within the CLA. It's not, we're not just, you know, getting uh, the offense And the offensive behaviors to become more skillful. But all the rep without rep we get on the defensive end is great too. So you guys share a lot of really practical ideas for coaches. And I thought this would be a nice part of the podcast for us to just talk about some of these things. And then we can just see where the conversation takes us. If you guys were to kind of have maybe two of your favorite activities each that you've maybe been using over the last week or last few weeks... What would they be? And would you guys be able to just describe them so then the coaches can immediately, listening to this, can try it maybe in their next practice? It's a great question. You
2: want to go first, Jake? Yeah, I would say one thing we've been kind of honing in on in session is that connector piece, that connector role. You know, guys being able to make quick decisions off the catch, understanding when to shoot, or maybe if you got to close out, you're throwing that extra pass, making these decisions on a snap. So that's something we've really taken from film. You know, I remember the other day I showed Drew a, a little video of a guy catching a hand or a pass corner with one hand and being able to snap a little touch pass. So now we've been kind of applying that to our guys, being able to throw a bad pass, catch a bad pass and move it. Going from an isolated setting like that, where it's kind of just uh, one on air, two on oh, but you're making a bad pass, playing it into that next extra, guy's taking a shot. And then you're building that out to, okay, now we're going to make that guy throw in the bad pass have to close out. Now you're mimicking, okay, is he closing out to me? Do I have space? Am I swinging along? Or do I have space for shot? You know, trying to build out those kind of situations. So that connector role is one big thing we've really been teaching, prepping our guys with.
0: Nice. Thanks for that,
1: Jake. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say on, on the connector role as well, we're also looking at a lot of finishing, right? Finishing off cuts. 99% of finishing workouts, ball in hand, you make a move, you're creating a line, right? And we do we do some of that, but also lately we've been really focused on okay, how are guys getting layups and getting to paint solutions off of cuts, off of maybe they don't get it early, they get it late. Maybe it's a bad pass. And now you're in a really bad position. Then we start to build out like pass out options uh, along yeah. the court where they can now pass it. Oh, now we're re-spaced. Now we're playing off a closeout, like that multiple actions mentality, right? And I know we had talked to Alex a little bit about like the give it up, give it back type stuff, right? The Steph Curry, pass it, stop, starts, pace into it. So that's what we've been focused on a lot of. It's like once you give the ball up, what's the next play? Because everyone talks about the next play mentality, but rarely do you ever see players getting opportunities to make mistakes with that, get feedback on it. Yeah, You know, how does my action or my inaction directly impact the other players on the court? So we're just trying to figure out different ways to build that out and let these guys play around with it a little bit.
0: Absolutely. And just on that cut one, I love what you shared on Twitter the other day. Maybe it was, yes, if memory serves me correctly, you had two players on the wings, and then you had a passer at the half line, so it was a one-on-one plus one. And then as soon as the pass, kind of, uh, as soon as the cuts started going, it was live, passer had a functional solution to get them the ball, and then it was just one-on-one off the cut. So I think stuff like that's great in finishing because – like you said, so much of a time in player development, we think that finishing is just coming off a dribble, going in a straight line from the elbow, doing some type of move. But, you know, we're not looking at all the scenarios that players are actually finishing in the game. And I think that goes back to what you said, Jake, about the importance of film and actually seeing, you know, how our players finishing and then let's recreate those environments. Yeah. And, and, you know, another thing it touches on too is like the whole concept of like
1: nested affordances, right? Player having to catch a ball in space, but then also be able to perceive where a defender is coming at. You have to catch it, then you have to make a decision. And are you scoring? Are you passing it out right? So then, now you're really challenging and overloading these guys. And and
0: it's fun because rarely do they get opportunities at that. Absolutely. It'd be really interesting just to hear about your perspective on shooting guys. Cause I think this is one a lot of player development slash skill trainers struggle with in terms of how can we apply CLA to shooting as opposed to just having You know to do these block spot reps you know any practical ideas for how you guys are doing this in the shooting space
2: yeah we do a lot of what we call like adaptive shooting you know shooting with decisions and shooting pressure as often as possible a lot of the times we work in what we call rhythm breakers so you're getting multiple shots but it's multiple different sets of footworks or multiple sets of decisions into the shot so that each shot is variable Right. Maybe you have space, maybe you don't have space. Maybe it's a bad pass. You got to go find it with your feet. Right. So those trivial details make players adjust and adapt shooting wise as well. And you're getting away from that block rote repetition scheme.
0: And Jake, on that, have you ever had players kind of that you've had to explain, you know, why you're working this way? Because obviously you guys have pros too, or, you know, is it a case that they try it and they just see the value to it immediately?
2: Yeah, I mean, sometimes you get a little bit of pushback, but in reality, we have a great, great group of clientele. You know, like I said, we always talk about it's our relationship with them that builds the trust, you know, and they're willing to try and explore and even fail in some of these situations. Um, You know, that bond kind of allows us to create an environment where they feel safe and willing to try. But most guys eat it up. They love it.
0: That's definitely been my experience, too. Like, I've never had a player say... I don't want to do this, even, you know, at high levels, it's, I think they see the value to it immediately. And, and they feel like getting better because it's more representative. It's a no brainer. Yeah. Drew, on the, we we had an interesting text exchange a couple of weeks ago, and we were just talking about rate limiters. And I think that's a really kind of key concept for coaches to understand how is that, you know, how are you guys thinking about this and trying to incorporate, you know, activities where you're really targeting each player's rate limiter? You know, but it's not easy, right? Because sometimes you have a small group practice, you've got four players and they will got unique needs. So has that changed anything for you just thinking about, all right, how can we really target this within this particular activity?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we're very mindful of, of trying to, hand out more individual constraints to guys. You know, just yesterday we had a group and it was a pretty competitive group, but we had one player that was really kind of shining and I pulled him off to the side. He's like, you know, I really don't know what to do because I can get, I can get to the basket every time I said, okay, well now you got to go off your left foot and you got to finish with your left hand. You know, he's typically a two foot jumper, right? Trying to be powerful. So just even doing that and that completely changed his solutions the next four or five minutes that, after that segment. So I think it's it's trying to find that optimal challenge point within the group but also understanding there's guys with ranges of skill sets and certain activities benefit them more and you know they have a little bit more of an embodied perception within that and so it's our job is sit around and say okay this guy's most likely going to struggle probably need to make it a little bit easier for him these guys are going to excel so let's think about yeah. ways that you know we can constrain them a little bit more and they now they're meeting them where they're
0: at. With that player, like if a player's doing really well, would it just be something about maybe limiting their space or maybe adding an extra throwing an extra defender in, less dribbles?
1: Yeah, you could constrain them in terms of dribble counts or some of the things too is played around a little bit with telling guys that hey, you can't you can't shoot on your first two touches, right? You, you gotta figure out how to create something I heard a while back was I can't remember who it was, but there's like a game where whoever gets the ball first is not allowed to shoot. So whoever gets it has to think, okay, how do I create an advantage? Sure. Yeah, I think defense was that neutral. So it was really on them. The ownership was on them to create something and then distribute and then space and, and just be available. So there's no limit to it. It's just really about your creativity and understanding your players, your skill sets, and then you know, do a buy-in, right? Like think about what you had with your uh, college prep. I mean, that the environment shaped that, right? That was a culture. Unfortunately, some of these guys that we have, we don't have a team. So it's a bunch of individuals and when they're with us it's like that but then they go to their teams and it's a little bit more traditional and so it's it's trying to balance all that
0: yeah absolutely i can imagine and you mentioned principles of play too drew and i think that's such an important part of player development because it's so much of a time we see player development in this silo where it's just moves 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 and guys are doing things completely different to how they play so And that must be a challenge because if you've got all these guys playing in different teams, I guess it's like trying to actually make things a bit more integrated where they're learning some universal principles, which they're probably not doing in their teams, like spacing, dominoes, triggers. And I see you guys do a lot of that stuff within your sessions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We try to, we really try to emphasize that because they're not getting it anywhere else. You know, like we have a shot clock in our facility. Most high schools, actually all high schools in our area do not have that. So this is a lot of times the first experience they have with that. I and mean, hearing the buzzer go off and everyone in the crowd, you know, everyone in the gym, there might be guys lifting and, and all that. And then the minute a shot clock violation happens, everyone starts clapping. Like it's a, it's an atmosphere thing. It's awesome. So the more we can get players in those positions, the better off. And yeah. now they have at least some experience with it, right? Failures, successes, they get feedback and it's going to make them a better player for sure.
0: Definitely. Just, and principles of play wise, I guess it's, that's the thing, because skills always emerge within the context of those. And it's I shared a, a tweet, I shared quite a few tweets about it. And it's like even you know, when we see these advanced moves emerge, typically it's coming off something like a pick and roll, maybe some type of opal screen, or it was a domino situation. And it's the you know, the reductionist approach to player development, I think we really kind of lost track of what is actually happening within the games. So yeah, context
1: yeah. is everything. I agree. Yeah.
0: It really is. It really is. So if you guys were to imagine, you know, you were starting off from where you were a few years ago and same as me when I first discovered the CLA, what advice would you maybe you give yourself in hindsight if you were, you know, to start again from scratch to maybe better understand an ecological approach and be able to deliver it? So, because I'll say my one after when you guys go. because this is something I thinking about a lot, just, you know, when I'm trying to Get a new coach on board. What's the easiest way I could maybe get them going and using the CLA if they've never been exposed to it, but also overcome some of the hurdles that the three of us would have encountered inevitably when we all started?
2: Great question. Uh, it's kind of interesting because we have had some some of our college guys come in and help with some sessions, you know, and it was interesting to see them kind of progress through our model of training, getting away from what a lot of the guys are still doing now, maybe when they're at school being able to progress from blocked, non-variable repetitions and build it out to creating the environment and allowing the environment to let these skills emerge. So I would say, I mean, it happens in tears. Start slow. Be patient. It was tough. You know, you get people watching. You have athletes kind of questioning. You have parents questioning. But, you know, just sticking to the process and believing what you believe in, you know, has led us to where we are now.
0: Love that, Jake.
1: Yeah, I would say for for me, I mean, JK, right on the right on the head there. The other thing you could add in too is that one player finds as a solution is not for everybody, right? And and it's okay, it's okay. You don't have to like you get in this mindset. I have to teach this move to everybody. Like this is an attacking move, right? It's different. So every player kind of brings their own skill sets and and what they're good at, their strengths, their weaknesses, all that to the table, and it's just your job to allow them to explore stuff and it's okay to fail. Like Jake was saying, you got people watching, right? You're, you might be a private trainer like we are. That's your business. That's how you make a living. People see a lot of mistakes and frustrations as a parent. They're like, these guys don't know what they're doing. They're barely even talking, right? They're, they're sitting there writing on a whiteboard. I'm not paying them for that, but in reality, like, it's okay. So I would say the younger me flash flashback, it's okay. Not everyone has to do the same thing.
0: Love that. I was actually gonna say something so similar to that, Drew, about overcoming these mental models as to what i thought skills should look like and especially shooting was the biggest one for me i still find found it so difficult to move away from that and then the moment i did it's just everything changed yeah i'd love to like as we wrap this up guys what's next for the pro lane like are you guys working on any big things or over the next year is there you know a key part of maybe The CLA that you really want to dive even deeper into, or just anything in general that is coming up for you guys personally or with the company.
1: Yeah, I think big push forward now is like we want to take it global and consult with programs, individual players, individual coaches, and just help share the the mistakes we made. You know what we've learned. Obviously, you can expect a ton more content to to continue to emerge on uh, Twitter, and we're just having fun with it.
0: We're going to keep exploring and making mistakes. Fantastic. Well, guys, I want to say a big thanks for jumping on. Um, as we wrap up, where would be the best place for coaches to follow you? Maybe ask you some questions after today's episode.
2: Definitely Twitter. Uh, yeah, Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: We've been very active on there,
2: and we encourage discussion. We love having these discussions. Drew, you want to hit them with the uh, Twitter handle?
1: Yeah. So the Proline, or actually, what is it? Is it Proline Milwaukee? I think it's the Proline. Yeah. The ProLane. The Proline, Pro just like the sweatshirt right here, and then my personal one is Coach Drew D. And then Pro Lane Jake.
0: Great stuff. Well, guys, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast today. Much appreciated and obviously looking forward to being in touch. So thanks again. Appreciate it, Alex. A lot of fun, man. Appreciate
2: it. Awesome.
0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Transforming Basketball Podcast. If you would like to learn more about the work we do, head to www.transformingbball.com to access our free resources and help spread these ideas throughout the basketball world. If you enjoyed this episode, then please subscribe and leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. We will gladly answer any questions from today's episode via our social media platforms. See you next time on the Transforming Basketball Podcast.